Hey everyone, welcome back. Um, my name is Ivan Radomirovich. With me, Rahil Manji. This is the Mission Elite Podcast, episode two. Now we're gonna try and keep it going. You know, every every so couple couple yep. of weeks. Um, any any things from you to start us off here? Nothing for me. Just you know, it's uh, the consistency behind this. I think it's just gonna be more and more exciting, and the questions we get from our followers that we can really tackle. So we want to make this a really interactive experience. And if you guys have any questions or comments, leave them below and we'll try to tackle them in the next episode. Exactly. We try to utilize any questions that come our way um, and try and just make this as fun of a conversation as possible. Yeah. Um, it's been fun for me so far. Um, just to start, you know, dive into things. Um, you talk about, and I know you love this idea of pressure tolerance. Mm -hmm. And you've spoken, you know, in depth about it. Why is that so important? And why is it an important thing for for any tennis player to really care about and and work on? Well, yeah, I I like to go into two things that I would say are the most important things to me. And I and I really am looking at a level that goes beyond your personal skill development and ability. So I talk about pressure tolerance and I talk about pain tolerance. And the reason is because it was two things that I felt really elevated me personally to another level and I saw elevate the players that I was ever, you know, helping or supporting or coaching to their next levels. It was the most obvious thing for me to kind of tackle and improve on. Pressure tolerance is probably the most important thing to me and then you have the pain tolerance to go through discomfort. Because everybody's great on their best days. But on your worst days or on your most high stakes days or the days where you're injured, do you have the pressure tolerance for the, for the you know, obviously the pressure and do you have the pain tolerance uh, for the discomfort to get through it? So I'm really big on uh, seeing players not just elevate themselves in, in the area of skill development or in practices. I want to see, can you handle the big day? Can you handle the big moment? Uh, and that's really trained. So we talk about building pressure tolerance. And then also, can you handle it on days you don't feel perfect when your body's not there, when you're injured, when you're in a third set, it's burning hot or a fifth set and you're in Colombia and you're just done. Do you have the pain tolerance to continue? So you elevate to your next level. And I that. find that that's such an interesting um, topic, um, a subject, you know, pain tolerance and pressure tolerance. Um, how did you work on when you, when you were playing building this this pain or pressure tolerance both of them really um and then really how did you see it help you uh, when it came to game day when you know you really needed it you really needed uh, the ability to face adversity w yeah. w in whatever form and when you're struggling cramping moments maybe like that where where you know you you really in practices try to work on it mm -hmm. and then saw it help you in in the match setting in the area of pressure tolerance, I don't, you know, if I, if I look at the grand scheme of my career, I would say I was pretty good under pressure, but I don't think I would say I was always very good under pressure. I think in my juniors, although I did handle it quite well to my standards and to the level where I wanted to go, it needed to get better. And the most obvious thing is to me is just exposure therapy. Could I expose myself to pressure on a daily? So a really interesting story that I like to tell a lot of my guys is when I was 15 years old, it was really clear to me, you know, I wanted to win a, a national championship 
uh, approaching in that year because that meant that uh, you'd get into the Junior Davis Cup team. It was a really critical year to win this championship. You know, it was way more critical than under 12, 14, maybe even under 18 to some extent. It was under yeah. 16. And I knew that we'd be playing for a Junior Davis Cup position. I knew we'd be playing for a Canada Summer Games position. Position. I knew it would be, you know, lead to funding. It was a big year. And I was talking with, you know, Andre Radulescu, who, who was helping me at the time uh, quite a bit. And we talked about, and you know, the pressure I'd have to face uh, to actually close out a national championship, not just compete for one, and then the pressure knowing all the stakes that were behind it. And we started training sets, and, we, and we'd put $100 on the line. I was a 15-year-old kid wow. putting $100 on every practice set I played with him. And luckily, he wanted me to win so bad, he was willing to go through that with me. And you literally start to feel these butterflies and these nerves in practice. And it was incredible. It was, so, it was perfect. It was way more productive of a practice than any other practice where you're even developing because you're actually facing the truth. The truth is it's actually not just about who's the better player. No. It's about who's the better player under pressure, under discomfort. Under pain. Yeah, and then, and then who has the balls to close it all out. And I had an opportunity, luckily, to run into Andre and be able to help me with that on the daily. Um, so in, in the area of pressure tolerance, he was huge for me. And I just tried to find different ways to mimic that pressure tolerance. I needed to get to the point in every practice where I could feel the butterflies and feel the nerves. That way I knew I was actually getting exposed to it and getting better. Yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, it definitely probably then helped you for the tournaments like during the, those juniors. Did you, did you feel it in terms of like Huge. it actually helping you in terms of like, okay, yeah. you felt butterflies uh, um, yeah. in that practice, but then in the tournament, did you, did you did feel like, like the, the following tournaments that you did, you did oh, play, yeah. you felt a bit more like, Oh, there's not even money on the line for this tournament. Yeah, well, I'm assuming that's that's, that's, yeah. that's the reason, like you guys even yeah. even did that. exactly. Sorry, with the intention of that, the intention was to make practice more painful and more pressure filled than the tournament. So then a month later, after we were doing this thing, I go to play Canadian Nationals. Yeah, I play Felix Auger Aliassime in the first round. I was 15 years old or something. He was 13 years old at the time, mm -hmm. but I knew he was a hot shot. And I knew he was dangerous. And, you know, back then, you don't want to lose to the kid younger than you. Yeah. I lose the first set. I think I was a three seed It was in the round of 128. And I come back. I, I end up winning that. But in the finals, I'm, I'm playing Harrison Scott. He won a national championship at Texas. Yeah. And the craziest thing, you know, I, I thought with all that, I was, that was on the line, uh, I was going to feel these nerves, everything, this, that. Match point, I'm not feeling anything. Like yeah. literally nothing because I had faced it a hundred times in practice with Rad and it's a funny story how that ended. He ended up owing me a lot of money, but yeah. uh, we didn't, you know, I didn't close out on that. But the point of it wasn't about that. It was yeah. about how much pressure could we feel in practice, but it translated and then we stuck with that system. Um, I stuck with that system in every avenue as a player, uh, as a coach, as, uh, you know, with Mission Elite. And I've seen it translate so well uh, in, I've never seen it not translate well. So I've, the cornerstones of Mission Elite training, really, that kind of support the base is pressure tolerance and pain tolerance. So, Yeah. Um, kind of switching into different uh, bit of a topic here, but how many trainings a day do you think is, is optimal for performance of, mm -hmm. of specifically, obviously, tennis? Um, and do you think athletes are doing it right by doing three 
or more practices a day mm. because you know a lot a lot of these athletes are doing um, you know a morning and afternoon and evening yeah. and, and trying to do as many as possible mm. just you know it's a really good question um, and I like to take a little bit of a different perspective because I was educated and open to this new theory um, that became really insightful to me and so think about this in a tennis match all right are you ever going to play you know just an hour and a half and then say hey let's continue this match later no you're not so I'm really big now and of course sometimes you got to keep it fresh and blend but as a majority like I want I want to prepare you to be able to handle five hour matches or you're going to play grand slam seven hour matches and so that means you're going to have to be able to be on the court for seven hours. Don't let the first time you're on the court for seven hours be at Australian Open. That means yeah. you're not prepared. Like in in with Djokovic versus Nadal, I think the finals match yeah, was six hours. It was six hours. Like so insane. insane. If you've never practiced, even like we're not talking about match, we're talking about practice. Yeah. If you've never even practiced at the six hour mark, it's you're 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 at such a disadvantage. And I actually question how many have because. It's not just about the physical. It's about the mental as it's well. It's about being able to focus for seven, six to seven hours at yeah. a time. It's being able to have your body last for six to seven hours at a time in the Australian heat. So I'm, I've really gotten big on this new uh, you know, insight that came to me that we got to learn to train, not just our games, our physicalness, you know, but our mind to last six, seven hours. So I'm really big right now on doing uh, chunks of sessions in a row. Um, rather than multiple throughout the day. And I think the mo really important in that is is what you're saying is to emulate, to recreate almost what the conditions of like the worst possible conditions yeah. so that when you're trying to, you know, when you are going into the tournament, you're not surprised by having to play a five-hour yeah. match because you've already put in the work. And, and I feel like a lot of people, you know, kind of like, oh, well, how do you, how would you recreate it? I feel like, you know, if it's not humid where you're at, you know, go run on the track with a sweater or something. Right. You know, there's yes. really no excuse, in my opinion, for why you aren't ready for a situation. It's completely dependent on you, even if, you know, the conditions aren't the same or, or you know, there are surprises. Um, you've got to give yourself the best chance by trying to recreate whatever conditions are necessary for you to become, you know, win your matches and tournaments. So true. You want to make matches... Uh, you want to have the matches shouldn't be the first time you're experiencing new things you should have replicated it and created margin for area in your practices because you know it'll never be the same so you ramp up the intensity of your practice you ramp up the pressure you ramp out the pain tolerance or the sorry the discomfort you ramp out you ramp up the heat conditions yeah like that's a great point you made is why don't you practice with multiple layers of sweaters on yeah. if you're in Canada and you want to go play a pro, be a pro, you're going to go to the hottest places. Exactly. There's always a way, right? Yeah. There's always a way. That's part of being, what you offer there is a creative solution, which is huge. We need to become creative solution makers. That's part of being the ultimate competitor. I agree completely. Um, so you were at University of Oklahoma, you know, had a top five recruiting class. Um, when you look at players, what, what's if you said the one thing that you look for in a recruit, and I'm saying literally only one thing, what's the most important value you look for in a tennis player if it had to be only mm -hmm. one thing? And you can, yeah. you can take time to think on it. But. No, no, no. It's the most obvious thing in the world to me now that after going through so many recruits, it's the intangibles. So it, it is 
what we believe in in our blueprint at the top. It's the ultimate competitor plus the ultimate person. But what I really look for is the ultimate competitor um, in a recruit. So that's the intangibles. So obviously at a school like Oklahoma, you're not going to, you know, you're only looking at like a certain level, right? So that's that. The base and the level is all there. But then you're trying to look at the recruits that have upside, the players that have upside. And the most obvious way for a player to have upside is in their competitive traits, in their intangible traits. So a great uh, example is when I was there in 2018, I believe, it came down to two recruits from the same country. And um, actually, the one they were, they were number one and number two. And number one was more talented. He looked more like a pro. Uh, he was more clean, crisp. Um, and he was, don't get me wrong, he was great in the intangible areas. Um, he was very coachable. But the number two guy, one word to describe him, the first thing that comes to your mind is just gritty competitor and those competitive traits. And when you're competitive yeah. enough, although he was coachable, part of being a great competitor is the coachability. You do whatever it takes to win. And um, so the cleaner professional looking player was actually the higher recruit. The number two guy, um, who I thought was one of the best competitors in recruiting I've ever seen, he ended up being number one in the NCAA. We didn't get him, but he ended up being number one in NCAA. And, and I knew we wanted, like, that was my go-to guy. It was everything I stood for. And, yeah, yeah it comes to show the potential. Um, you see it, really. Um, yeah. and, and results speak for themselves in terms of, you know, the, those gritty ones, the ones with the great intangibles, they will be at the top because they have that. And it, and it matters so much. Yeah. Um, to move a bit into a different direction a bit. Um, and this has been a, you know, a pretty interesting topic. I feel like in the, in the tennis world lately, um, what do you think on, on having coaching in tennis and, and whether you think it should be allowed, um, pros, cons, mm -hmm. just your overall thoughts on, on that whole on that whole situation. Well, uh, it's an interesting question because I view tennis as what it is at first and foremost it's an entertainment it's a form of entertainment and i think that involving coaching into the into the sphere of tennis as a whole makes the sport much more entertaining because you create different variables in it um and so i'm very pro for it it makes it's better for the coaches it gives them more of a secure role um be able more to have more of an as well, impact right? yeah more involvement yeah. more impact um but i think it's also pleasing to the eye of a fan to, to kind of get to see not only the player, but who's the man behind it, coaching them. So I mean, I think they have be... a huge role. I mean, and, and also, I mean, NBA fans or yeah. NHL fans, they get to see the coaches yeah. interactions on the, on the right. field and stuff like this. And I feel like you kind of give it more personality right. maybe to the sport because you then you get to see, you know, yeah. the coaches really thinking out there, trying to change tactics or trying to, you know, well, find yeah. weaknesses on the day. And I feel like that's part of the reason why the NCAA, um, the team tennis, you know, uh, Labor Cup or um, ATP Cup, it does have a little bit of an extra excitement to it. There's more variables towards the, 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 entertain, the show as a whole, which is really if you want to build and build and build tennis uh, from a revenue standpoint, you've got to create a better and better show. Um, so for me, it's a, it's a no-brainer. It'd be great to see coaches be able to get more involved, uh, have more of a role, and uh, ha and with that would come more security in their role within the sport of tennis, 
which is a, a benefit yeah. for all. So um, that's kind of my standpoint on that. I agree. And let's kind of stay on the topic of kind of more team tennis in general. Um, how do you feel um, team tennis in university at, mm. at, at Indiana, you know, how that kind of shaped and how that affected your career? Was it, you know, a very positive kind of different dynamic from, of course, juniors is um, extremely, you're by yourself. Right. There is no team aspect to right. it. So do you think it kind of changed how you approached or, or how did it help you, do you think, in your game? Well, there are some players that were great college players um, that if you look at their tennis abilities, they perform better in college team environments uh, than they do in individual environments. Uh, for, for me, I, I felt like, um, I think the blend was good for me. I think I performed well and I loved the team environment. I loved it. Um, but I also uh, loved, I didn't actually love the individual as much as the team, but I performed okay in the individual as well. But, uh, you know, to put it all together here, team tennis was all about pressure tolerance and pain tolerance. That's all I really believed in. I didn't feel like I had superior skills. And so this fit me really well. Um, and then to take these strengths and put them towards individual tennis gives you a little bit edge of it on its own, but yeah, it's I different. I feel like team tennis, you're not really just playing for yourself. Now you're playing for a whole team. Mm -hmm. So of course there's going to be added pressure to it. Yeah. And then you can take that, you know, ability to not only play for yourself, but play for, uh, you know, play for an environment that's more intense and more serious because there's yeah. more eyes on it, especially, yeah. and then more people dependent on, on your match itself. Right. So I feel like definitely when you go in and it's kind of, we talked about pressure tolerance when you're playing for yourself now, it's almost less, uh, yeah. less pressure. Probably. It's an, actually a challenge that I had to face going from such a high intensity environment towards, you know, especially as you're breaking into the pro scene, like futures events, you got no crowd there really. And it's just like your individual, it was, it's a real adjustment. Yeah. Um, it's not, you don't feel that when you're playing masters events, you know, like there's still some hype around it, but to go, it's not always going to be the great, you know, big, big show, big event thing. So you have to, a part of transitioning into the pros and why I believe some call, like some NCAA players have trouble is because they're used, they get used to such a high intensity, you know, team coach, everything you need type of environment. It's, it's a real show. It's a real, it's really fun to participate exactly. in. And now you got to go and slum it out and, Frickin and Mozambique, yeah. Africa, it's, and this actually segues perfectly in, in, into a question of of your time on the professional tour, and like if if you could give some stories about um, events or moments that you had that really showcase like the difficult, like the sheer grind of of professional tennis, because it's it's yeah. not all lights and cameras, especially as you're starting off. You know, mm. it's a lot of difficult locations, um, difficult conditions. Um, isolation that you have to go through. So kind of speak on that and maybe give a couple stories so that people can really see that, you know, you've got to be extremely passionate and love the sport to be willing to go through some of those conditions yeah. and environments because it's not all uh, yeah. sunshine. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And even at the challenger level, it's still not all sunshine there. I really feel like um, unless you have an incredible passion and love for playing the game, you better get yourself out of those futures challengers as soon as possible because it is a different, a little bit of a different grind. You have to love tennis to survive in it. And we're talking about very high level tennis. 
and you still have to love it to survive it. You've got, it's not just about how, about, about how good of a tennis player you are to make it on the pro scene, in my opinion. You can go into the NCAA and, ju and it just be about how good of a tennis player you are, plus pressure tolerance, plus pain tolerance, because you have all these external motivations pushing you. You've got uh, you know, your coaching staff, your teammates that are like your brothers, and you're flying only in the United States. It's not tough, it's not tough travel, yeah. but when you go on the pro tour, you're now alone, like as you're entering, especially, and you've seen all the top players have to get through this stage too, where they were like, you know, our top Michelin performer right now, Braden. If you look at his career, he started out playing futures in uh, Africa, Nigeria. Uh, you see it even with Donsky. You know, like we had some guys there in that are we helped through Mission Elite that had to go through the same experience. But even the best in the world had to. Um, they had to get through this point, but it's just hopefully you get through it sooner than later. Yeah. But it's, do you handle travel well? Do you handle being alone well? Do you handle no weeks off well? Do you handle not seeing your family well? Do you handle long, sometimes to Australia from Canada, it's like 30 hour flights well. And so it no longer becomes how good of a tennis player you are. Obviously it is, but it's no longer just about that. In the NCAA, it's about that plus pressure tolerance, plus pain tolerance. Uh, but when you go into the Pro Tour, it becomes, I, I almost feel like when you go on the Pro Tour, those two areas actual, actually dial down a little bit because you have so many opportunities, tournaments every week. But the other areas, do you love tennis starts to matter way more. And do you play, uh, do you play a bigger level? Because obviously the level is higher, you know, you're playing fetters. So it's funny. You can't just be a great competitor on the pro tour. Yeah. As much as I'm like, that's everything you can control. I do believe there is a little bit like luck needs to line up and you need to create your own luck, mind you, but you do need to have big game behind it. Um, you need to be the ultimate competitor to make it. And when I'm talking about pro tour, I mean, making it, I mean, top hundred, you need to be the ultimate competitor. You need to have incredible weapons. You need to have an X factor to you. Um, and you need to love this lifestyle. Yeah, and that's why these guys are superstars. I mean, all these yeah. guys that are, you know, really dedicating their entire lives to. That's the fourth. That's the, the whole, fourth part. You got to be willing process, to sacrifice the whole your process life process because they they know that it the, the journey is is going to be extremely difficult and and you know you're going to have some extremely tough battles yeah. pretty much every week every week of the year. It's right. going to be extremely difficult because you're going to be competing with people people exactly at your level right. most of the time. So I completely agree with that. Um, I think that that's good for, for episode two. Awesome. Was a pleasure. Leave a comment in, 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 the, in the comment section about you know your favorite part of this uh, video. Leave a timestamp. Um, real? Yeah, appreciate that. Peace.